Hello and welcome to episode 82 of Feckin' Metal. I'm your host, Fergal Trainer. I'm recently back from my Iron Maiden excursion, taking in gigs in Dublin, Glasgow and Manchester. And if you'd like to hear an account of that, and how we got on, and all the things we got up to, you can go to Metal Chat with Melissa. Her latest episode covers the whole thing in detail. I'm not going to do it here because it was covered off so well there. You could also listen to the latest episode of Talking Maiden, which covers off some of it as well, or you could listen to the latest episode of Wayne's Iron Maiden podcast. To be perfectly honest, I am glad that they all did it so that I don't have to. But it was a fantastic trip, needless to say. It was great to see Iron Maiden live three times. The Somewhere in Time songs live were fucking unbelievable. The Senjutsu songs were really good as well. And overall, I think the whole show just worked amazingly well with the lights, the backdrops, the special effects, the fucking gun, all that shit. You know it was amazing. You've seen the clips online, I assume. Or else you've been to some of the gigs yourself. Anyway, you will have heard that I used a different intro music there, uh, which was also composed by Kyle McNeil from Seven Sisters. And that's for the Ferg's Quest episodes. I've only used it very sparingly in the past. And yeah, this is a Ferg's Quest episode. I'm going on a quest to find new heavy metal, even though I've been listening to Gotham City for a while now. At one point, back in, I don't know, a couple of years ago, they were a completely new band to me, and I'd never heard of them before. And I went on a quest to discover them. But in order to talk about the band in detail and to really delve into them and their discography, albeit small, it has many highlights, I had to enlist the help of a good friend and a heavy metal aficionado, Chris Coxon, maybe the biggest Gotham City fan of them all. Who knows? That might be up for debate. Anyway, Chris was on board with me, and this was about two months ago we recorded this. I'm only getting around to releasing it now. Sorry, Chris, and all of your fans, but at least it's here now. So me and Chris delve deep into this short but exceptional run of the band Gotham City from Sweden. Uh, There's a documentary up on YouTube, and I think it's called Gotham City, The Greatest Band You've Never Heard. Maybe you might watch that afterwards. It's a short one, but it's really good. Um, So yeah, they probably are The Greatest Band You've Never Heard. And without further ado, here's the episode I recorded with Chris back in May. All right, so I am here with Chris Coxon, a friend of mine. Uh, We met a couple of years ago at Keep It True Rising 1 in Germany. And he is a massive fan of heavy metal and particularly a huge fan of underground heavy metal and particularly a huge fan of Gotham City, yeah. which is the band we're going to talk about mostly on this episode. So, Chris, how are you doing? Cheers for having me on. Yeah, I'm good. Good form. Good to hear. And uh, can you tell the listener a little bit about yourself? This is kind of very broad and generic, but if you don't mind indulging me, right. uh, how you got into heavy metal and... Uh, early bands you listen to, etc. When you first got into heavy metal, and then we'll progress then through your through your journey. How I got into heavy metal. Um, I remember I had a friend in school, like sort of end of primary school, beginning of secondary school, who listened to a few bands like Metallica and other stuff like Corn and Slipknot and stuff like that, and hearing a bit of that, and then also a lot of video games and stuff like that. I think mm. a lot of people my age sort of got into it through that, like Tony Hawk games. Uh, there was an SSX snowboarding one that I remember had like Motorhead, Scorpions and Maiden on the soundtrack. That was probably the first place I heard any of those bands. And right. my dad had uh, a single of Paranoid that I remember him playing when I was a kid as well. So those were, I suppose, my earliest introductions to it. And then at some point when I was maybe like, yeah, probably 13 or 14, I heard Iron Maiden and got, massively into them i bought my first metal t-shirt and a few cds and a handful of button badges while i was on holidays in spain and 
I suppose, delved into it from there, went to see Motorhead like a year later with my dad. Oh, yeah. That was the 2009 That's game, the one, yeah. in, uh, the Olympia. It was, yeah. Lemmy's voice mm, was knackered at that, but it was a great show all the same, or I thought so at the time. I loved it. Yeah, I, I was at that as well. I know we talked about this before. His voice what, did kind of take a bit of a dive think, during the was set. He was off stage for something like 20 minutes, I think, and there were people yeah. leaving and all. Mm. We sort of stuck it out. He came back out, though. I must, yeah. and he sounded pretty good when he came back out. I don't know what the fuck they did to him backstage. but uh... Derails of speed or something. <laughs> <laughs> what I wasn't going to say, but yeah, it's probably, <laughs> probably what happened. Anyway, he's dead. You can't be uh, slanderous about the dead, so that's fine. Oh, I don't uh, think you would. I don't think you would have minded anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no. All right. So, uh, Motorhead was your first metal gig. Well, are they metal? Are they not? You know, that's a debate for another time. But uh, let's just say they are. Uh, yeah, it is. I I would say yes. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, what do you feel about that whole thing with Lemmy where he kind of railed against it his whole career? He's like, we're not metal, you know, we play rock and roll, all that. I talked about that with my buddy Tom a little while ago. And I think the thing is that Lemmy was like, Lemmy was old as shit. Like he used to roadie for Hendrix and he was in bands that were sort of coming up at the same time as the Beatles. Like hmm. by the time the 80s came about and heavy metal became like a really sort of popular mainstream term for describing music. Lemmy had been making music, making records for like 15 years at that point or something. He was probably yeah. like well into his 30s. Like it, it, he played rock music because that was, you know, that was what it was called in his day. And that's what he always considered. Mm. But I don't know. I would overrule him and say that albums like Iron Fist and Orgasmatron are very much heavy metal albums. Absolutely, and I, I would say anything they released in the last 15 years of their career as well. Definitely, yeah. Certainly heavy metal. Like, uh, You could argue maybe the first couple were more kind of rock, almost like a boogie aspect to some of their songs. Yeah, the first like, album yeah. especially is sort of like a really filthy version of bands like Status Quo and Dr. Feelgood mm. and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and it, yeah, I wouldn't say like the first Motorhead album or the one that was released later on Parole, which has many of the same songs. I wouldn't say they're necessarily heavy metal, mm. but yeah, I always thought it was a kind of a bit of a stubborn take from him right up until his dying day. <laughs> um, is that we're not fucking heavy yeah. metal, but so many bands, I suppose, from that era or slightly afterwards kind of rebelled yeah, against the idea. Guys of kind heavy. of had it too. Yeah. I think part of it is, I think, like, especially in the 70s prior to because, like, metal becoming huge i think it was kind of like uh you know it was like a term that you would use to slag bands in the press or whatever mm. calling bands heavy metal it was like oh that's just fucking heavy metal that's like fucking loud music for idiots or whatever yeah yeah well a derogatory term like uh, derogatory that's the word i'm looking for yeah yeah no i think so i think you're right just from stuff i've read obviously i wasn't alive back yeah. then but uh you know just from like retrospectively reading things like yeah I think it was initially a derogatory term, but then it became an essential term because there were so many bands that fit into that category. Yeah, well, it became that... something that was so well-defined, I suppose. Like, you couldn't really... You can't lump in Iron Maiden with the heavy rock bands of the 70s. They're very clearly something of their own. They're a heavy metal band. Yeah, like, I mean, Iron Maiden and Aerosmith might play on the same bill, but they're very fucking different in terms of how they sound. That's it, exactly, yeah. And Van Halen and whatever. Uh, so, okay, so... Motorhead was your first gig. First ever gig? Uh, no, I saw Linkin Park before that. All right. Uh, My dad took me to Linkin Park when I was about 13 with uh, Queens of the Stone Age as well. Ah, yeah, okay. It was the style at the time. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> and I was wearing my, uh, you know, the big puffy skate shoes. <laughs> All right, yeah. Those days. 
Uh, and would you still be a fan of Lincoln Park or is that something that was kind of a, I saw somebody use the term gateway band on Facebook there today. Is that a gateway band for you? Not if they necessarily were. Like when I was like, that would have been when I was like 11 through 13, I suppose I was into them. And I like bands like Green Day and stuff and Queens of the Stone Age as well at the time. But I don't not really know that they led into heavy metal that much for me. It was something very different, I feel like, when I got into Maiden and Metallica and bands like that. Mm. And would you ever listen to any of those bands these days? Nah, not at all, really. Like, I, I've i heard Queens of Stone Age since. They, they have some okay stuff, I suppose, but I wouldn't be mad mm. into, like, the new metal stuff, I have to say. Okay, fair enough. So, okay, so Linkin Park leads into Motorhead, and you said you were discovering Iron Maiden, you bought some stuff when you were on holidays. Yeah. What happens next? How do you get really into heavy metal then after this point? I think big point at which i started getting to like really seriously into it and hearing underground stuff was were you ever in into the void records when they were open in dublin so i don't actually know somebody asked me this a while ago and i'm not certain whether i was or wasn't um with me when i was younger actually and still to this day i'll just be completely honest with you i always find those independent record shops quite kind of intimidating (laughs) to go into so you go in and like often there's nobody in there except the owner of the shop and you kind of you have a little fun of flick through of you scopes is glaring at you from behind the counter (laughs) i know and you're just like oh they're judging every single move I make here. Uh, everything I look at, I've been judged. Um, so I was never very comfortable in those shops when I was yes. younger. And I didn't have a, a turntable up until, I don't know, probably 2015 or something like that. So yeah. so record stores like you know that actually sell vinyl back in the day didn't really frequent them. I know like a lot of them had CDs then as well, but like I always felt really uncomfortable in those shops. Yeah, it was CDs I started off on. I didn't start collecting yeah. records until I was maybe 17 or so. Mm. But I always felt like... Um, I don't know, I just felt awkward in those shops and I, I kind of tended to avoid them. There's a possibility I was in Into the Void. Probably I was at some point. Yeah. And there's a possibility I was in the original Sentinel as well, but I, don't, I, I was, couldn't tell you for definite. I was in there as well, yeah. Uh, it, so Into the Void was, um, it was a shop run by a collective of record labels. So it was Invictus, Sarlacc and Sentinel. And yeah. there were a couple other labels involved too, I think. But yeah, uh, we I went in there when I was... 15 or so um mm. and the lads in there were not quite like your experience they were really friendly and approachable and i remember dara who runs invictus records giving me and my buddy harry cds and sort of telling us bands to check out and that was where i first heard a lot of more obscure bands i would have heard the likes of pagan altar slough vomit or gospel the horns all hanging out in that shop um, mm. Whereas before that, I suppose I was into I was into metal, but my tastes were more confined to bands. I would have known Venom and stuff like that, but I didn't know really obscure stuff or more recent stuff. I suppose. Yeah, sorry, not to say that the people in these shops aren't friendly. This is my personal handle. There's not, nothing to do with the people who work in those shops. This is me as a, as an awkward person in general. I um, relate to that a bit. What age are you now when you're when you're discovering the likes of Slowfeg and Pagan Alter? What age would you be? That would have been like 16 years old, 15 years old, 16 years old, I guess I started hanging out in there. Okay, so this is really interesting to me because I didn't discover the band Slaufeg until I was about 25. Yeah. Um, there was some lad in work who told me about them. We were having a, a chat. We were drunkenly talking about Iron Maiden and Rainbow, um, a work night out. And he said something like, if you like them, have you ever heard of Slaufeg? I was like, no. And yeah. I was like, fucking listen to this album. And it was Traveller. And I, I remember buying it from Amazon then. 
the yeah. day after and think yeah. it was amazing. But like it took me a much longer time to get to where you got to by the time you were 16. But this is why I, like and as I said to you like, privately before, I, I learn a lot from your Facebook posts. You're always <laughs> posting about seriously, though, I genuinely mean it. You're always posting yeah. about obscure bands, things I've never heard of, like Jameson Raid and and Jonah Quiz and just to name a couple. Um, and I'm like, I've never even heard of this band in my life. And I go and listen to it and I really like it. So yeah. that's kind of why I wanted to have you on as well, because you're somebody who's like a lot younger than me. You're far more knowledgeable than me. Thank and you. you got to where I am now a lot earlier than me as well in your journey with heavy metal. So it's very interesting to me to learn about that. Um, okay, so by the time you're 16, you're listening to the likes of Slough, Pagan Altar, that type of thing. Um, so did that spark a... Um, a desire in you to kind of understand or discover underground metal from I, that point? I suppose so. Well, I suppose hanging out in that shop, it was like, uh, up until that point, I had one friend in school who listened to metal, same as I did. And we, was that Harry? We'd gone, that was Harry, yeah. yeah. And we'd go, I'd gone to a motorhead and I'd gone to see Iron Maiden with Harry as well. But beyond that, but, like... We when was that actually out of interest? Maiden was 2010. It was the Final, Final Frontier Tour. Oh, uh, yeah. But yeah, we didn't really have any concept of there being like this whole scene and, you know, new bands going on, whatever. And then we started hanging out and into the void and it was like, there were all these Irish bands we hadn't heard of before. Like Zom mm. were the big one at the time. Really fucking right. liked Zom when they ran, went to see them a ton. Never we, heard of them. They wouldn't be your cup of tea. They're sort of a very cavernous, them. horrible death metal stuff. Oh, they yeah, were great no. though. But yeah, we started going to gigs. We were able to... There were some underage gigs and there were other things that we managed to kind of slip our way into back then. Mm. And there were like events in the basement of the old Into the Void shop. They had like an album listening for a new Primordial album that come out. We were meeting all people from the scene. So I suppose it was, I don't know, I was getting the sense that there was like a whole fucking thing to be involved in and like all this shit going on, Mm. which was, yeah, it was exciting. Brilliant. Okay. So basically from an early age, you were exploring the underground in heavy metal you were um not just happy to listen to the likes of iron maiden and motorhead you were kind of delving a lot deeper than that and mm-hmm. has that always like i mean as far as i can see you're still doing that and um, you'll post up something on facebook where it's a i don't know a youtube video of a band that had one ep back in yeah. 1982 and you'd be like first time listening to this etc so you still obviously have that in you that curiosity yeah I think it, it comes and goes. I think I'd like at the last six months or so, I've been listening to lots of new stuff and doing that, digging around for like old EPs or whatever, and sticking stuff up on Facebook. But for a good while, I think I sort of stagnate or I go off and listen to other stuff for a bit. But yeah, I'm still okay. definitely fucking mega passionate about it. So it comes in waves. All right. Yeah. So mainly today, we're here to talk about the underground Swedish metal band yes. Gotham City. Um, can I ask then, when did you first hear about Gotham City? And there's, there's lots I want to talk about here, but let's start with this. Unfortunately, I don't think I have a good story about coming across Gotham City. I either just found them on YouTube one day or someone played them at a session and I liked them. I don't actually have like a sort of eureka moment of first hearing them or anything like that. Hmm. But I really liked them from when I first heard them. I heard, it was the song uh, Swords and Chains, which I think is where most people oh, yeah. first hear them. That's definitely their most well-known one. Gets kicked up by the YouTube algorithm if you're uh, listening to underground metal and that kind of thing. And do you remember when this was, even roughly? About about 2014 or 15, I'd say. Okay, so a while back now. Okay, um, so me, uh, I have been doing this podcast for a while, and I was doing a kind of sub series within the podcast of 
what I was calling Farg's Quest, where I went to find bands that I didn't know anything about. Um, I did one on Heavy Load. I did one on Unto Others, obviously previously called Idle Hands. Mm. And I did one on Universe, another Swedish band. Oh, and, um, yeah, great stuff. One of my friends, Jonathan, who does an Iron Maiden podcast, Maiden Eight, said, was like, oh, you need to check out Gotham City. And I was like, I'd never heard of the band, of course, at all. And um, I was like, okay. And he's like, it would fit exactly into what you're doing. So I gave them a listen. And initially I was like, meh. <laughs> <laughs> these aren't that good um so i listened to like the song gotham city um and then i listened to a couple of tracks here and there and then i found myself going back to them again and again and uh i remember then meeting it was at a, the eternal champion gig last year in may about a year ago actually exactly nearly um in the grand social and i'd been kind of listening to them on and off and kind of going to eventually kind of going actually this is really good um and i i think i initially dismissed it because of the vocals we can get to that later yeah. but um i saw patty i didn't know patty at the time i knew you from keep it true and i was just outside having a smoke i saw patty wearing a jacket uh, and he had a gotham city patch i was like oh gotham city or no he's wearing a gotham city t-shirt sorry um and i said where did you get that and he's like oh hell's headbangers and then i got chatting to him and then i realized that I had mutual friends with them, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then I went on and listened to them from there and got quite into them actually eventually, but it, it took yeah. me a while. Um, and I find it, I find it's kind of similar with a lot of the underground heavy metal in that it's not immediate as in, it's not like Iron Maiden yeah. or something like that. You're not going to listen to it and immediately like it. But you but do put in like the time. It. Yeah. Yeah. I find that, that, that the full length album, the unknown with swords and chains on it. I got mm. into that pretty quickly. Um, but it, it does have like it's got a weird tinny production on it, and it, the sounds a bit odd. But I, I found it like pretty pretty quickly catchy. The, the the other stuff, the older material with the other singer, is definitely a bit more of a slow burn. It takes a bit of getting used to, maybe. Yeah. So when Jonathan recommended it to me, I went and found all of this music online, and uh, mm. I started listening to it chronologically. So um, you've got obviously the early demo, um, which we recently procured a, a copy of on vinyl, yes. um, and then you've got like the single, which is I think a huge leap forward, and then you've got Black Ritz, which again is another leap forward, and then then you've got uh, the unknown. But like if you're listening to it in chronological order, I think it's. Um, it's a hard slog for that first kind of the first period. <laughs> I love all of it, but I, I can definitely, I can agree with that. Yeah. Okay. Um. So right. So you don't have a, a eureka moment when you discovered them, but um, you lo- you liked them from when you first heard them. So like this is a band. Let's just like kind of paint a picture here. So there's a group of people that are mutual friends of ours, like uh, who love Gotham City, and there seems to be like almost like a a, a groundswell in Cult following. a small a small section of Irish metal fans who really like them. Yeah. And then if you go to a festival like in Keep It True or something like that, you notice that it's not just, you know, a small uh, group of Irish fans. It's it's there's it's kind of a groundswell amongst a lot of underground metal fans and you'll sure. see a lot of patches, you'll see t-shirts and they seem to have like this very strong cult following amongst the type of people who would populate, you know, the likes of Keep It True and that type of thing. Yeah. And uh, what I was going to ask you is, like, what what is it you think that makes them special? And why is there such a, a kind of a underground movement of popularity with them? Um, I think there's a certain sense of romantic sort of mystery to them. The fact that they've been gone for so long and so obscure, like uh, I've never... Maybe there's some exist from old Swedish fanzines or something in Swedish, but I've never read an interview with Gotham City 
mm. or seen any pictures. Uh, or uh, Anders, the second vocalist, so he made music after Gotham City. So there's photos of him floating around, but a lot of them are sort of totally obscure, disappeared characters. I think it was the same for Kirith Ungol for a long time mm. before uh, before they came back at Frost and Fire Festival. Um, yeah. But as far as their sound, I think Gotham City have like, they're just unique, especially the early stuff, like the the weird vocals and the sort of very melancholic melodies and like weird guitar tone mm-hmm. and everything. I don't think there's a whole lot of bands that sound like them, where if you're listening yeah. to a ton of 80s heavy metal, like there's so much variety in it, but a lot of bands can start to blend together a bit. And there's lots of bands that sound a bit like Iron Maiden or like fucking half the German bands all sound like except or whatever. There's not really a lot of bands that sound like Gotham City. That's a fair point. So I think I think they're unique and they're they're intriguing. So you've said they have a unique vocal style. There's those melancholic um, melodies. That's fair enough. And uh, I want to just look at a couple of Gotham City releases. So you had the first album, which was, uh, sorry, the first release, which was a demo uh, in 1981. Any kind of key songs on that or anything in particular about that that jumps out of you? I really like from that, there's a early version of Borderline, which is mm. on, it's on the full length album. And there's also a version of it on one of the later demos. But the version on this demo is sort of, I think it's like six or seven minutes long or something. It's a much more drawn out mm. version of it. It's much really, longer, yeah. Really sinister. I don't know. the The vocals are all the the lyrics are all in broken broken English, but they're kind of like they're they're creepy and they're strange. And yeah, yeah. I don't know. There's just a great atmosphere in that song. I think it's. Uh, I think yeah, you know, the sound is rough, but I think it's way better than the album version. I like head on on okay. that demo too. That's a really fucking cool like Judas Priest style, <laughs> pounding heavy yeah. rock song. No worries, let's have a listen to that. Here you said borderline. Yep. Yeah, it is a much longer version by uh, over two minutes, I think, or three minutes yeah. nearly. I love that scream at the start. Fantastic riffing, just fucking killer the opening playing riff. Is fantastic, yeah. And I know they're only on their first release, but like this is almost the the trademark Gotham City sound already, right out of the gate. For sure, yeah. Yeah, it's a really, really fully formed sound as far as what they would go on to do. And it's a, like, like, like you were saying, it's a long song. It's sort of quite, I don't know, complicated arrangements and everything going on for a band mm. doing their first demo in 1981, too, when it was sort of a fairly new art form doing this style of music. Absolutely. So, I mean, you've got the singer Ola Olsen. He's not a traditionally skilled heavy metal singer, I'd no, say. He's, no, he's not Rob Halford. <laughs> he's certainly not Rob Halford or anyone really from that era. But that doesn't bother you. Th- those vocals don't, you don't mind that. I think they're great. I really like them. Um, I think it makes, I think they work for, I was just talking about the sort of melancholic sort of sound to a lot of the riffing and melodies. And I think his vocals really work for that. They almost remind me of like, post-punk style vocals something like uh sisters of mercy in a weird way more than yeah, metal okay. vocals i think yeah. they really work in that sense and they they stick out too like there's 
very few singers that sound like that or you know when there are singers that sound like that it might like the guy from vice human kind of sounds a bit like that but it doesn't work in the same way it just sounds kind of crap when they do it some of their songs are okay but it doesn't have that gotham city feeling to it sure okay and like that was something that got that took me a while to get used to but i think actually when you do get used to it the vocals suit the music because it's very raw it's kind of very it's like it's how would i say like it's it's lo-fi in the early releases it's lo-fi production and the vocals are are not polished whatsoever and none of the music is polished but because all of it is kind of at the same level of unpolishedness it actually does end up suiting the music when you get used to it but i think initially for me it was not quite not a shock but it was something i had to kind of digest it was like okay so this person isn't a traditional Mm. kind of heavy metal vocalist but i i I, as i said i found myself going back to it again and again and there was obviously a reason for that um have a listen to the chorus here I actually think the sound on this is quite good too. Like it's rough, but you can hear that bass really well for a demo recording. Absolutely. The bass is quite prominent, yeah, on, on all of their releases. And I think I can kind of relate to you with the post punk thing. I know I I don't know where you'd categorize the damned if they're punk or they're post punk or mm. both, but uh, I can hear that kind of the like and I don't mean this in a derogatory way, but almost the tunelessness of a damned chorus. Yeah in that chorus there. I'd wonder if they you were know, listening um, to that sort kind of stuff or if it just came about as a result of the vocalist they were working with. True. I mean, you have to work within the limitations of the yeah. vocalist. Um, okay, so anything else on that release that stands out to you? I mean, it's a, I mean, it's a great release. I like I like the whole thing. The, the Green Man Alishi cover is excellent, but mm. I don't necessarily know that there's any other ones I need to, to go into in detail. Yeah, I think they did the um, the instrumental part of that quite well um, on the Green Man Alishi. So let's bring that up there. Um, I thought earlier on it kind of lacked for the lack of dual guitar, although I noticed there was dual guitar later on in, in the the demo. So I'm mm-hmm. not sure why they didn't have it, but um, I thought this bit was going very well. Clearly in the style of Judas Priest. Oh, definitely. <laughs> So yeah, fairly competent musicians. Like they, they have a grasp of their instruments. There, they know what they're doing. And an interesting cover to do as well, because it's a cover of a cover. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that song was a cover for many years. I always thought it was a Duke's Priest song. Oh yeah. Well, I I think I must have read like it in a magazine or something very early on, and I went and yeah. sought out the original. And obviously, it doesn't really sound anything like that. Uh, yeah, I quite like um, the original, so- but I must have heard it years and years after I heard the Priest one. So do I, yeah, but it's 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 from that fucking bizarre era of Fleetwood Mac, <laughs> uh, like really experimental and absolutely nothing like the radio hits they'd have uh, later on. Yeah, yeah. I'm just looking at some of these other songs here. So a lot of them appeared on later releases. Black Ritz, of course, appeared on Black Ritz. Uh, 1995 appeared on Black Ritz again. I'd like to play the solo from that, actually, because I think it's fantastic. Nice one. Uh, so 1995. <laughs> 
Good attitude. <laughs> Just that guitar sound, it kind of creeps in gradually and um, it's kind of, it's not particularly present here, but like it creeps in again and again in their later songs. Yeah. Uh, and they kind of start to develop their own signature guitar solo sound. And I, I found like across the various releases over the years, like there's always a fucking great guitar solo in a Gotham City song. Yeah, the the, the lead guitar in Gotham City is... It's incredible. Like uh, I'm, not, I'm not a musician, so I don't know a ton about the technical aspect of that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, just as a listener, I find it really impressive and emotive the the playing. not quite guitar soloing it's not quite riffing it's kind of somewhere in between yeah anyway they've a lot of that as well but like they, they normally go for a clean high-pitched guitar solo sound but i thought that was a really good example of kind of the more of a riffy kind of sound yeah, yeah. just kind of keeping the song continuing up that way okay anything else on that that you would like I, to discuss? I don't think so not not from the demo anyway onto the single next I think it's time to talk about this fucking absolutely classic riff. This this is my this is my favorite part of Gotham City's discography. I like all their stuff, but this single I think is the crowning glory. Yeah. So just for the listener, this was the Gotham City self-titled single uh, released in 1982. So the A side is the song Gotham City, and the B side is the song Killer Angels. Uh, so here's the opening riff for this, which is just a fucking classic. <laughs> gonna pause it there so glorious yeah absolutely glorious no heavy metal party is complete without that riff <laughs> <laughs> yeah and I, i've said like there's there's strong uh motorhead vibes from that one i guess yeah i think so the, the tempo of the riff to the bass to everything like that i've noticed that across a lot of their songs actually yeah there seems to be a strong motorhead influence yeah interestingly actually on the black back of the black rit cp your man is wearing a discharge t-shirt so there's a there's a bit of like it's not very obvious listening to it, but there's a bit of hardcore punk, yeah, interest in there, which you can kind of hear that in some of the rhythms, I suppose. I noticed you said that actually recently. Yeah, um, I'm not familiar with this church, so I wouldn't pick up on that. But uh, interesting to note because I do get a bit a punky vibe from a lot of the songs, yeah. especially this song actually. Um, so yeah, look, like I've said here, like it's a headbanging tune. The riff really carries it through. I said it shines over everything on the demo, uh, but the the vocals are still a bit ropey. But if you get on top of the vocals, if you if you if you kind of make peace with them, I actually think they're quite good, and I think they're even better here than they were in the demo. I think they work excellent in this song. Reaching for the glory, I want to know how it feels. 
What I also love is like the variations on the opening riff that they use throughout this song. So that just there is kind of a variation on the opening riff. And later on, they kind of use a different variation on it as well. So it's like the same riff carries it through, but it's not played the exact same way. Yeah, they mix it up a bit. And there's some great, great soloing in there. Is it uh, towards the end of the song where they get to that Gotham City? Tell me, tell me what to do. It's great. Oh, yeah. Like, I don't know, the, the way the riff slows down there and um, you get that, that like big sort of sing-along chorus. It's excellent. It's perfect heavy yeah. metal song. Absolutely. I have a few different timestamps on this one, but um, as you said, it's a perfect heavy metal song. So you said you think you heard um, The Unknown first. Is that what you said? Yeah, I heard uh, definitely Gotham or uh, Swords and Chains was definitely the first song I heard. And I think I probably downloaded that album before I ever heard the rest of their stuff. And then do you remember when you kind of were somebody pointed this out to you or did you just find this yourself? I don't or? remember. I think I probably came across it myself because once I once I get into a band enough, I sort of like I, I'll start hunting around and like, I know, like pretty early on with Gotham City, I know I sort of had tracked down all of the demos to listen to and all that sort of thing. I'd say uh, Encyclopedia Metallum is in your favourites anyway. Excellent, yeah. <laughs> Great site. <laughs> Spent it is, it's, countless hours wasted on that site. <laughs> it's the same here. And when I'm doing an interview where I'm doing something like that, I'd be fucking lost without it, to be honest yeah. with you. It's always, always open in front of me. Uh, I'm just going to play the chorus here because it's a classic. Every So, do you have any idea why the band decided to call themselves Gotham City? Is there a Batman link there, or have you any idea about that? No, go, going back to what I said about them being kind of mysterious, I have absolutely no idea why they picked the name. I've never mm. never really found any information on why they're called that, or what any of the lyrics are about, or, you know, anything really. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, and I, I think that's like you said earlier, nobody really knows, and that's kind of the part of the mystique about it. Um, I just thought you might have heard something that I hadn't heard. I remember wearing a, I tend to wear like metal t-shirts on on work calls quite a lot, and I was wearing my Gotham City um t-shirt one day, and one of the lads on the call was like, "Oh, Fergal is wearing a Batman t-shirt." I was like, "No, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no." Yes. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there's obviously some element of. Somebody was interested in Batman there. Um, it has to be, yeah. Know. They don't seem to sing about Batman at all, though. <laughs> but no. the, one of them must have been a big comic fan. <laughs> yeah. They've got a bat on the cover of the single, though, I suppose. It's that. <laughs> true, true. Okay, there's a. I said there's a fantastic solo here. Uh, give me a sec here now. I'll bring it up. Uh... Oh, bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> Let that out. Uh, da, 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 da. There we go. So that was fantastic, but they also go into another really memorable bit here, which is, is very catchy as well. Um, 
So I'm just going to play that. It just continues on from what I just played. Yeah, that's a magic guitar part. It's uh... Uh, absolutely, yeah, and, and I love a band that has like a a, a a bridge. Sometimes it's a vocal bridge, or sometimes it's it's a guitar based bridge where it's not a solo, it's not a riff, it's just kind of a breakdown uh, musically. A little melody, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, a little bonus melody in the middle of the song that's not part of the chorus yeah. and not part of the verse. It's just there, and it it kind of pieces the song together. And they do that quite a lot, actually. Um, kind of starting here with this and quite a lot then in, in the future as well but um, yeah it's just it's so many daddy bits um, and then I think the bit you were talking about earlier uh, I think this, it, run, it runs straight on from that or maybe maybe it's further into the song oh I had noted this part here um, let's go for it everywhere I walk on this So as I said, kind of back into a, a version of the intro riff there. You were talking about a different bit that was yeah. after the... I was talking, I think it came straight after that little bridge you were oh, playing, yeah. the, the part I was talking about. I mean, it doesn't matter anyway, but I think that was what... Oh yeah, hold on a sec. I think that's where it comes in the song anyway. Yeah, just so many bits in that song. Like it, it just makes it. That, yeah, I thought that that's probably quite fair. I mean, picking out favorite bits of a song is that even thing? But I, I love that part of the song. It's excellent. It's really sort of catchy, fist pumping stuff, mm. and sort of kind of it's emotional too at the same time. Yeah, it's, it's powerful. I've just written here. This is a fucking gem. Even though I don't know what the fuck he's talking about in the lyrics. <laughs> well, every time he messes around, it will be down oh, in Gotham City. You tell me what to do. <laughs> yeah. Asher, look, I mean, I mean, this isn't the type of band, really, that I would delve too deeply into the lyrics for. Uh, I'm not guessing there's too much substance. Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't I don't think so. I think it's more the vibe, the sound, the riffs, the solos. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Not necessarily a deep lyrical analysis of what's going on. Um so the next song, actually, it's a B-side, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad song. It's actually... It's it's not as good, but, I mean, that that's sort of fair enough when you're following that. Mm. <laughs> it's a great song. I really like Killer Angels. Let's have a wee listen to the intro here. Yeah. 
So yeah, to me that's a it's a great opening riff. It, again, it reminds me a lot of Motorhead, maybe something from Overkill. I was gonna say yeah, Motorhead or maybe the heavier end of Status Quo. It's a really fucking mean heavy rock riff. Yeah. It's quite different to the A side. Mm. Absolutely, and it's that kind of driving riff as well. Um, I know on like the song Gotham City, the the opening riff kind of carries it carries the song through with various different versions. But on this song, I think yeah. on Killer Angels, that, that driving riff kind of appears again and again and again and again. So, yeah. Kind of, like it keeps the song going. Um, but yeah, I, th- I thought they did a really good chorus here as well. Um, it was uh, just quite catchy. that fucking riff coming again it's just fantastic yeah it's one of those sort of it's one of those songs that focuses or it relies pretty heavily on one riff but it's such a fucking great riff that you wouldn't really want it any other way sort of like princess of the dawn by accept or something (laughs) really just works with this sort of one driving riff running throughout the song it doesn't need anything else like it's already done you know that's it um and then I said uh, 203 is beautiful. That harkens back to some of that guitar sound that was used sparingly on the demo. I forgot to play the opening track from the demo, actually, which I think is great. It's that really, really melodic guitar intro, um, the very first track on the demo. I'm just going to play it now. Oh, that's right, yeah. I completely forgot, but I, I really love this. It kind of it lets you know. I need to have it. I'm opening up my iTunes to Gotham City so I can know exactly what you're talking about. You say, like, the first track from the demo and that kind of thing. Uh, it's called Spitfire. There we go. Spitfire, yeah. I fucking love this. Excellent. It reminds me of like, I don't know, the Ides of March from Killers or something like that, where it's like an instrumental opener, but it, it, it kind of sets the scene. Yeah, it's got an odd sort of like uh, anthemic sound to it. It's a bit like um, yeah. Singing Swords by Heavy Load. They have that weird sort of military march, but it has a guitar yeah. solo kind of feel to it. It does have that military feel to it, yeah. Absolutely, the drums in particular. And this again. Anyway, uh, we'll let the listener go and find that out if they want. It's called Spitfire. It's on the 1981 demo. But what I was actually talking about was Killer Angels. Yeah, around 203 in the song. It kind of reminds me of that a bit. So let's go into it.
Anyway, I think like by this stage, as I was saying to you earlier, that's like kind of the Gotham City signature sound. Would you agree? Definitely. I, I would say so. I'd say that the, this EP is the, the defining Gotham City moment as far as I'm concerned, even though they had the EP and the full album after it. I think this is sort of them at their peak for me anyway. Yeah. I think those two songs are yeah, really impressive, sort of world-class stuff. I mean, you know, if there was any justice, they would have gotten Sport Iron Maiden or something off the back of that <laughs> single. It is it, no, it is really top shelf stuff. Like especially the playing, uh, it's it's really yeah. really top shelf stuff. Um, but uh, they appear to have a different or an extra guitarist for that release. So if you look it up on uh, Metal Archives, they have one additional guitarist for that release okay. uh, on the single. Uh, so I think they often had sort of either a guest guitarist or, you know, the one guitarist laying down two tracks. But I think in most of the live clips of them, they actually have the one guitarist, though none of the live videos are from this early on. Mm. It's from like more like 1986. Yeah, it's around that time. It's around the time being known. Yeah. So so Martin Edlund was is kind of the the constant guitarist. But for this release, they had a guitarist called Thomas Person. Um, who who disappeared by the time they did Black Ritz? Mm. Uh, so he's not. Well, he's and wasn't not wasn't anyway, in anything I, else. He was in a band called Pinheads, according to Metal Archives, who don't have a Metal Archives page <laughs> even. So they're not even metal, obviously. Not clearly. metal, no, or if they were single, metal, yeah. they never even put out so much as the single demo. <laughs> they didn't put out a fucking a fart. <laughs> uh, yeah. So um, I love the guitar on on the self titled single. Uh, and there's a lot of guitar interplay back and forth between what clearly sounds like two guitars. Now, on other releases, it's it's obviously just the main guitarist, uh, uh, Martin England or Edlund, sorry, kind of riffing with himself. But um, it's it's got I don't know I don't know what happened to him. I don't know if he was just a temporary member of the band. But it's a shame because that the sound that they have on the self-titled release there is, is great, excellent. Yeah. And um, I don't know if they ever really got it exactly. Yeah, I don't think so. Again. I would say I would say the guitar. The guitar work, or at least, you know, how it's uh, how it's ended up si- sounding in the final product. I think that's the most sort of powerful and professional it sounded to the point that you can you can compare it to Thin Lizzy. I think. Like, I think so as well. Yeah, in terms I noticed of a lot. like fucking how well it's working together and how emotive and you know clean the guitar sound is, mm. and almost like reactive, like Scott Gorham and and. Um... Uh, Robbo would have been doing with one another like it's kind of reactive yeah. you know one person reacts to the other um, alright so we ha- next have uh, in the release scheduled the 1983 Black Ritz EP I ignored the 1983 demo because I haven't really listened to that I must say that's uh, grand uh, I, I have listened to it but it's not um, it's not a highlight like the 81 demo I don't think I would consider it too essential yeah and like a lot of the songs, not all of them now, but a lot of them ended up on, on future releases as well. So um, I didn't pay too much attention it's, it's to it. It's interesting but... because you could, it, that's actually, so I think that's actually after the Black Ritz EP. That's the first release with uh, Anders Zacherson. So you can hear him sing yeah. some of the older songs like uh, Gotham mm. City, I know, is on there. But um, yeah, it's not as good a version as the Ola Olsen one anyway. Yeah, I did have a, gl- uh, a, a glance. Uh, uh, I did have a listen to Gotham City, and I didn't think it was as good whatsoever um, as the original uh, single version. Um, 
But uh, you actually own a, a version of Black Ritz on vinyl. I do. You mentioned to that's one recently. of my prized yeah. possessions. Uh, <laughs> I yeah, you said you purchased it during I did, lockdown back when uh, back when we weren't no gigs and no pubs, so there was sort of money burning a hole in my pocket for a brief window in time there, and I spent some of it picking up a yeah. copy of that. So I don't know if you've looked at this recently, but if you look on Discogs now. The cheapest version of Black Ritz is selling for €199.99. Wow. Yeah, I did not spend that much on And actually, it was more expensive than that last time I looked. I think the last time I had a look at it, the cheapest copy was like €400 and something. Euro. The most expensive, which is media condition, near mint, and sleeve condition, very good plus, is $699. Uh, not Europe, but That's even madness. still. Isn't it absolute madness? What, 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 what are your opinions on this? type of thing like where there's something like let's say a really limited edition like the universe um lp is another one um and you know early yeah. heavy load stuff you know like original pressings and stuff like that um what's your opinion on this like uh, people spending hundreds of euro yeah. on an, uh, an lp or an ep in this case i mean i suppose it is it's not like it's not total bullshit it's not like some of the collectible stuff you see like I don't know, Pokemon cards or something like it is. Yeah, there's probably only a couple <laughs> thousand copies. Because, you know, like Pokemon cards, they're sort of like a manufactured collectible. They're sort of made to be collectibles. So kind of just like this thing mm. that's made for the sake of being collectible and like I you, action yeah, figures yeah. or whatever. Whereas this is just like an obscure record that was pressed in a few this thousand accidentally copies. accidentally became collectible. Exactly, yeah. So it's not total bullshit. But at the same time, I remember when I was first listening to these guys, I was looking at yeah. copies of it for about 50 euro you could pick it up for. And at the time, that was too much to wow. spend them on a record for me. But that was only, that was less than 10 years ago. I was looking at them for that. So I, I kind of feel like yeah. there might be a bit of a bubble thing going on here. And there will be people that spend 700 quid picking up that record. Mm. And five years from now, if the vinyl bubble has crashed a bit or heavy metal isn't as in vogue as it is now, they might be sitting on something worth less than half that and kind of sick that they've done it mm. a couple of things there um so you kind of said the final bubble you do you think I this think is a bubble mm. like i i think there's a lot of people picking up like like when when you go into golden discs or whatever you see lots of like repressed big popular albums they're all monstrously expensive for what they are so it's 35 40, 40 euro, euro for, yeah yeah for a Bowie album or something like that, yeah. And you see the record players that they sell there too, which is presumably what all the people getting into vinyl now are playing them on. And it's like these sort of Bluetooth speakers with built-in turntables and built-in yeah. speakers. Like they have, It's like a turntable with two little speakers in the front of them. I haven't mm. heard them, but like I have to imagine those things sound like dog shit. And I'd imagine mm. people will sort of eventually decide, you know, that they have enough records to look nice in their bookshelf and that yeah, it's just sort of you know it's taking up space, and that their uh, their real Bluetooth speaker probably sounds better than playing their records and pieces of crap yeah. like that. Then the other thing you said was heavy metal being in vogue. Do you think heavy metal is in vogue now with vinyl, particularly now? I don't think I don't think heavy. Well, I, I think there's uh, definitely a bit of a resurgence of interest in bands like Gotham City and Heavy Load and. All those sort of classic, obscure 80s heavy metal bands. I think there's mm. there's probably more interest in that now than there was 10 years ago. Okay. And, and do you think that's related directly to vinyl, or is it separate from that? I think it's separate from that. 
or well, I I, I suppose pe- I, pe- people who are into it are generally into vinyl as well, but I don't know how how linked those two things are at the same time. Mm. So, like, let's say the No Remorse releases, like re-releases of Heavy Load mm-hmm. stuff. Like, do you think that's related to Heavy Load becoming more popular, or vinyl becoming more popular, or what is it? I'm just asking your opinion. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not sure to be honest with you, though. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not quite sure how to answer that. One. <laughs> All right, no, I was just, I was just wondering. No, no, what you thought? Um, obviously, like Heavy Load played Keep It True a few years ago. You were saying you mm. saw them at um. Was it Sweden or, or no? Muscle I, Rock, I saw Muscle. them at uh, I saw them up the Hammers in Greece actually. Up the Hammers, sorry, okay, yeah. Um, so you know, yeah, in that kind of way, you could say that they were in vogue. But like, do you think that crosses over a small bit into like people who don't go to those festivals that they see like, oh, a record is popular or it's 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 on the front page of No Remorse? I should probably buy that. Yeah. I think so. I think there's a pretty big contingent of people there into all this kind of stuff who don't necessarily travel for festivals or if they do it's you know a lot less frequent mm. like I, I, I mean there's a good few people in ireland who would be sort of fairly clued in with all that kind of thing who you wouldn't really see traveling traveling abroad for gigs or anything like that yeah yeah uh, sorry just uh some side side questions no, there. No, yeah we, where were we we're on the we were on the black Ritz ep we were uh, about to move on to black Ritz, yeah Oh, we haven't moved on to it yet. Jesus, this is going to be a fucking marathon. <laughs> okay, so uh, on the Black Ritz EP, any any standouts there? Anything you'd like to discuss about that? Uh, an EP, an EP that you own, as we as we've mentioned. Yes, I think my favorite track on Black Ritz is the title track. I think that's mm. great, evil sounding riff, evil. That's lyrics. exactly what I've written yeah. here. The most evil sounding riff so far. Yeah, the, the most evil Gotham City <laughs> song for sure. The Coven's pretty yeah. evil as well, but Black Ritz. Yeah, okay, let's have a quick listen to that opening riff, which is Evil Sound. Definitely an evil sounding rip. It, it, it's different to me from anything I've heard before from the band. And yeah, sinister. It's a bit Black Sabbathy or something. Yeah, although Black Sabbathy with less gain, I'd say. Yeah, it, it's too clean a riff to be a Black Sabbath riff. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, if that had a bit more gain on it, that would be Tony Iommi all over. So yeah, it, 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 would you could, would you class this release as a progression in the sound of Gotham City, or or how do you feel about this? It's definitely changed. Um... I don't. I don't know. I mean, it's still. It's still pretty. It's still pretty steady. I think it's still. It's still pretty classically Gotham City sounding. I suppose, but songs like like Monsters of Rock, the opening song is kind of quite different to the single. It's a bit more. I don't know. It's a bit more standard rock song sounding. I suppose. And then you've got Black Ritz, which was very. I don't know. Black Sabbath, Merciful Fate, kind of influenced. Mm. And I, I said uh, I noticed a kind of a gallop, which reminded me a bit of Iron Maiden. Yeah, actually, I'll play that there now. Mm. 
reminded me a bit of Iron Maiden, but as I listened to it, do you know what? Like it sounds like Gotham City. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a certain there's a certain guitar tone and style of playing and obviously Ola's vocals that make it entirely their own. Absolutely, yeah. Like uh and then you've got this fucking fantastic solo in that song. I just have to play it. <laughs> one thing i've noticed again and again with gotham city it's like the song can be decent good uh great but there's always a fucking great solo absolutely yeah no the lead guitar guitar playing is a big part of what makes them so special i think sorry i'm just on the move here i'm gonna grab myself another can (laughs) no worries cover it yeah I, i i mean i think it's time that people started talking about gotham city as one of the great guitar bands like you don't really hear them mentioned in that same breath really you don't hear Martin Edland spoken about as one of the great guitarists of the 80s, but maybe he should be. Uh, it's a real pity they didn't seem to, with the exception of uh, Anders Zacherson, they didn't, none of them really seem to have carried on playing metal even after Gotham City fell apart. I don't really, I don't know what happened to all of them. It's a terrible shame. It, it, and it's, it's, it's quite unusual, actually, because when you look at the, the likes of Metal Archives, whatever, um, you see all these people from these 80s bands and they've gone on yeah. and they've done different things and they've been in many different bands and often they've been in many that many bands you've heard about yeah. you know for a brief stint or something if you look at the number of people who went through angel witch or something like that you're like jesus christ <laughs> i actually i actually think though uh the drummer from gotham city i think played uh briefly for Ingve malmstein which is pretty impressive though i don't know about the guitarist okay. i don't know that he went on to do anything else Anders zacherson was in a power metal band called Nocturnal Rights in the 90s were actually quite good. They're worth checking out. I've heard yeah. of Nocturnal Rights, yeah. Mm. I have a vague... Are they still around? They might be. He's not still in them, but they definitely kept going after him, and they may well still be going now. Uh, I've only heard the two albums that he sang on, though. I'm very familiar. I came across them because of my Gotham City interest and didn't really pursue them beyond that. I have a vague feeling that I've seen them. All right. <laughs> It's possible. Hold on a second. At Sabaton Open Air. Yeah, they played at Sabaton Open Air in 2018. I was at that. Yeah, I definitely would have yes. watched them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I remember the name all right. But yeah. I couldn't tell you yes. anything else other than that. All, all I can say is that I, I pretty much watch most bands at that festival uh, all the time. So Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Well, the, the uh, In a Time of Blood and Fire album, I definitely recommend that. The, se- the second one, Tales of Mystery, is good too, but the first one is an excellent album. Not quite, I wouldn't quite say a continuation of Gotham City, but it's it's cool. It's worth checking out. Yeah, okay. Um, so anything else on Black Ritz you want to discuss? Black Ritz. Anything that's integral to the sound of Gotham City? I think Born to Rock Hard is another one of their, their, their sort of defining anthems and one that you hear at a lot of parties and festivals and a good, a good heavy metal anthem in general. Do you prefer the version on this or on the 81 demo? I prefer the version on this EP, actually. I, I, yeah. I In a lot of cases, I like the demo version better from that yeah. 81 demo, but I actually think the EP version of that song is stronger. Yeah, let's have a quick listen here. Living on the 
bitch. Father was so rich. They're bizarre hairs. That's deadly. Um, I said that was the catchiest song on their demo. Uh, when I was listening to it without the benefit of actually looking at the lyrics online, I thought he was saying uh, his mother was a bitch, his father was a witch. <laughs> <laughs> I actually think they're better lyrics than the yeah, actual. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that works um, pretty well. Yeah. I really I like, like the, those the... sort of oddly, not quite broken English, but just oddly phrased English lyrics, like heavy bands with it... all the heavy bands, stuff like that. Do you know what it is as well? It's it's kind of the awkward delivery of them as well. It's like his mother kind of was a witch, clunky. His yeah. father was so rich. You're like, yeah, but it it, it adds to the, the the charm, I'd say. Yeah, it adds to the charm of it. I love this little instrumental at the end of it. I actually have to play it. It's, it reminds me of like fluff or something from Black Sabbath. In vino veritas. Yeah, do you know what that means? Or if it's a, an existing piece of music they're covering? I, I actually don't know. In Vina Veritas, it's like there's people tell the truth when they're drinking. Aha. It's Latin. Expose myself is completely... Uh... So I think it means in, in wine in wine is truth. <laughs> like the truth comes out when you're drinking kind of thing. That's quite good, actually. I, I don't know why I never bothered to look that up before. <laughs> Anyway, uh, I was going to say that kind of reminds me a small bit of Leonard Skinner or maybe The Stranglers, The House of the Rising Sun. Oh, yeah. And uh, that influence, I feel, comes in a bit more in the next release in a particular song. Uh, but uh, let's move on to that anyway. I'd be interested to hear that. All right. So we're on to the unknown. So like, yeah. let's just kind of take a look at this band now. So um, they have released essentially one demo in 1981 which is only released on cassette so it's it doesn't re- it's not an official release um i've never even seen a photo of one of the real copies of it i think they're incredibly rare i found a photo that i used through the artwork of the version i procured uh, online but it was just a photo um but yeah um then they had their 1983 demo again not an official release so they had their single in between which was was an official release 1983 again released independent on cassette um then we had Black Ritz, which was released on an EP on vinyl. You have a copy of it. Then after Black Ritz, we have the official and only album from Gotham City, The Unknown. Um, and after that, we kind of have a a live demo, an 86 demo, and then a, a live video. But like, really, this is their, they're a one album band, basically, yep. is what I'm saying. Um, for all intents and purposes, they have an EP, they have a single, they have a few other things. But if you're going to look at LPs, full lengths, yeah. this is it. The Unknown, 84, one album. And for all of the fanfare about them, they've done pretty well out of the limited releases they've had. They have. They did a fairly good job immortalizing themselves with the one album. Yeah, like I, I know a lot of people say like Guns N' Roses have done very well out of Appetite for Destruction and that type of thing. Mm. But like Gotham City have done very well as well yeah. <laughs> out of The Unknown. And I'd rather listen to Gotham City than Guns N' Roses. <laughs> oh, I don't know about that now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we might uh, we might be at odds mm. there um, so Swords and Chains you mentioned it before let's just fucking play it bit of a slow intro here but it gets going pretty fucking quickly mm. 
What a riff. This is fucking sublime. This stuff was fucking amazing. Okay, so I'm just going to stop it there. I've said here, now this isn't obviously quite as dramatic, but I've said Ozzy to Dio. I find that Anders is a much better vocalist than... Yeah, I, I feel like it almost is as dramatic. It is a, a big shift in the vocal style. Mm. He Anders is definitely like, he's technically better vocalist, but I'll always prefer the O-list stuff. I, li- I, like, uh, yeah. I like it. I think, And that's fair enough. I think he's got a a certain uh, character and uniqueness to him. Not that Anders Zacherson is a bad vocalist at all, and the album is great, but mm. I don't think anything quite rivals O-list stuff. But this is going to be the first time, unless they've heard the 1980... Sorry. Was Anders on a previous... demo. Was he on the 83? He was on the 83 demo, yeah. But he wasn't on Black Ritz? Yeah, oh, I've seen... Yeah, I, th- I think... Metal Archives might have it mixed up or maybe like maybe they had the EP recorded and ready to go and then changed vocals before it was released. I don't actually know. Oh no, he is here, yeah. He's on he's listed as on the nineteen eighty three demo, but not on Black Ritz. Yeah. So they could have come out in, in kind of reverse order kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Either that or Metal Archives. It's just mixed up one of the two. Don't you dare criticize Metal Archives. <laughs> <laughs> I pray to the Metal Archives God more than any deity <laughs> that, that exists. <laughs> uh, yes, okay, so to me, it's a huge step up in vocal ability. Um, I said Ozzy to Dio, not quite, probably, but... I think uh, the unknown almost sounds, it sounds more like a typical 80s heavy metal album, not, mm. the, not in a bad way, but it sounds more like what you would expect and. the... Uh, we were talking earlier about the sort of weird, almost post-punky vibe to the vocals and the yeah. the punky aspect to it and the weird sort of sludgy sound on the early stuff. That's all sort of, it's gone. It sounds a bit more... Polished. Classic. Yeah, traditionally 80s mm. heavy metal sound to it, I suppose. A bit more polished and a bit more, I don't know, in step with what other bands in Sweden were doing at the time. Sounds a bit yeah, more I... like heavy load or parasite or that kind of thing. But at the same time, there is there they do still have that uh, like distinctive guitar style and like it, it's it does still sound like Gotham City certainly. Yeah, there's a, there's something about it and it's a f- mm. fantastic album. It's a ten out of ten out of ten out of ten album for me. Yeah, but um, yeah, it's just it's not um, it's it's not as unique, I suppose, as the stuff with Ola Olson. Yeah. I'd say that's a fair point, yeah. That's it's fair. Um so we have the chorus comes in here. We are riding on in the storm. You can see of his golden chains. That's a matter in the golden rain. We will catch the sun and the moon. And 
this. Actually, I don't even know if that is the chorus. Sorry, I think it's more of like a a, a, a bridge or something like. Yeah, that. I guess that's <laughs> a, that's the bridge that repeats, I suppose, and, the, the, and then the yeah. chorus is the swords and chains. Yeah, no, sorry, I should have I should have uh, time stamped that part. Um, that that was the bit that stood out to me. I love this bit later on, right? I put it down as a post-chorus, mm. but like, I think like the, I. I know, like you preferred the early stuff and stuff, but I think in terms of songwriting, the songwriting had improved leaps and mm. bounds. It's like I put it down, like with like Judas Priest, maybe with them. Um, I don't know, uh, sin after sin and staying class. But when you get to Defenders of the Faith or Screaming for Vengeance, I think the songwriting had really taken on another level where there was like bridges, choruses, really lots of melodic parts, lots mm. of like hooks that. that weren't necessarily the chorus. Again, with Priest, though, I prefer the earlier albums you've mentioned, so maybe that's... <laughs> no, I thought you might. <laughs> I thought you might. But I'm just trying to give, an, a, give a comparison yeah. in that, like, um, in that they, they had a lot more hooks, I think, mm. and uh, this is another example of this. We've got to see. With souls and chains, we are coming again. Yeah, there we go. Um, all right, so Swords and Chains opening track, obviously a fucking classic. Yeah, that's well. the song that got um, me into them. It's one of the main ones you'll hear if people are playing Gotham City at parties, festivals after gigs whatever classic absolutely um any other tracks on this that stand out here that you like let's to discuss? have a look at the track list i really like um going insane off this one actually that's an excellent song oh yeah and ravaging town as well is another i i've many times coming out of work on a friday i'll uh stick that one on on the headphones as i'm off to the pub or a gig or whatever Let's have a listen to Going Insane. I love the start of this, actually. Yeah, I'll just play it there. Last year when it all begun When the doctors came to me The same novel healthy man Would tell me what's wrong with me The same You're going insane Lovely little gallop there. To a chorus here, and it's a beast. Now I flew again. I still can't come out from here. Am I going insane? Oh, what? Am I going insane? Yeah. One other part about this is the fucking solo as well, which again is like, why isn't Martin Entland in the fucking conversation mm. of the best guitarist of the 80s? Or Edland, whatever his name is. Sorry. Yeah, 
yeah, that that's a fantastic song, and I think that that's one of the ones on that on that album that I think captures the sort of melancholy sort of sound of the early stuff best. Very classic, mm. album, City. I know what you mean. So, like, they're not necessarily upbeat mm. melodies. They they have a bit of um, it's almost like they're singing with regret. Definitely, yeah. Like yeah, it reminds me of certain yeah. Thin Lizzy stuff, like from Bad Reputation, some of the more sort of yeah, introspective absolutely, and bleak yeah. stuff from them. Absolutely, and I, I know that the kind of tone you're talking about, it's like, I'm singing a song here, I'm singing it loudly, but I'm also kind of forlorn about the topic. Yeah, I feel like if I was a musician, I would have a, a better way of expressing exactly what I'm talking about. But I think you get it and people who are into this and who are into Thin Lizzy probably get the comparison I'm making as well. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Oh, uh, Phil Linnett has the... Phil Linnett, joking. <laughs> Phil Linnett has the, um, that that quality to his voice where he can express an emotion um, and it's like, um, it's like, yeah, like a sadness, but it's like, it's like mm. deeper than a sadness. It's like, a, it's like, um, it's like desolate mm. or something like that. Um, and the song itself can be kind of it doesn't necessarily need to be slow. It can be quick. It would be fast paced, but it yeah. can still sound kind of desolate. I, I think uh, I, know, I know exactly the feeling you're talking about. And I think Gotham City and Heavy Load, two Swedish bands, are two of the yeah the main bands, I think, of that capture that same kind of vibe that songs from Lizzie, like, I don't know, Wild One and yeah. Sun Goes Down have. Absolutely. And look, I don't think we're going to get the Heavy Load or any of those other bands tonight, unfortunately, because yeah, we're running so out long. of time. Well, uh, we got 20 minutes. We're on the last album. Maybe we'll get a brief chat about them. Uh, so anything else from this um, that stands out to you? This is the, the, the main album from Gotham City. So let's see. I like Ravaging Town a lot. That's a, that's a okay. sort of another good sort of, it's a more lively sort of party kind of song. Very feel good. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's have a quick glance at that. We'll have a look at the chorus. I actually quite like the bass intro there. I won't play it now. Great, yeah. Time constraints, but uh... That's good. And I actually quite like this part of it as well, which is kind of breaks it down a little and sounds a bit different. They have a kind of a talent of breaking these boogie or these fast-paced songs down into a kind of a Sabbath riff, which is is yeah, very yeah. talented, I think. And uh, okay, any any other tracks on that? I like the Beast Will Burn a lot. That's that's another classic one. Learn from your leaders is cool. But if there's any in particular you have any any notes on that you want to go into, go for it. Uh, I love Learn from Your Leaders because that's the other song that reminds me of Leonard Skinner's. So or Leonard Skinner. I can see I that. Yeah. So I'm going to just play a clip from it. And uh, actually, I'm just going to play the opening from it. Okay. 
right. So now it kind of just sounds like any kind of heavy rock band from the 80s. Nothing in particularly special about it. But when we get to about 40 seconds in, it's uh, Skinner.com. that just gives me vibes of like simple man or um something like that yeah i'd never thought of that before but uh i can definitely see what you mean though listening to it there it's it's that kind of picky kind of guitar kind of um not particularly heavy gain electric yeah. guitar picked uh and the really melodic vocals i think they're anders's best vocals i'll say um and then 128 uh i have noted here is like the best the best riff i've heard mm. from gotham city so far uh, I'm going to put it in here. Oh, yeah, this is later in the song they have this really nice part. yeah that's the thing it's a seven minute long epic too it's a yeah this shouldn't go unnoticed this reminds me of like a thin lizzie epic like a black rose or something absolutely Kind of bluesy song. Yeah. yeah, one sound too out of place in Lizzie or Mama's toys. Anyway, that goes on for a while. I don't want to play the whole thing. So, um, yeah, Gotham City is kind of an overview of them. But in general, in Sweden, there's just such a wealth of underground heavy metal. We mentioned Heavy Load. Uh, yeah. There's a band like Torch, who I, I saw a glimpse of. I keep a true rising one, I think. Yeah, I actually missed them. I probably should have. Uh, I should have gotten in to see them. But they're one of those ones where I'd sort of lost track of myself and was talking shit or drinking in the car park. <laughs> Ah, so, so did I. I think I, 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 I sure listen. Don't talk to me about it. I, I did a load of that. I keep it true just now. The recent, the, the real one, the recent one, the main one. Uh, I was, I saw more bands than I saw, but um, <laughs> um 
yeah and then there's like universe which i did an entire episode on and stuff like that but it's like there there, there seems to be such a wealth of underground swedish metal from the early to mid 80s and it's like a, have you listened to uh parasite no i haven't there you go parasite i have to send you parasite after we finish here they're another great one that have that kind of eerie melancholic heavy load gotham city kind of vibe to them yeah it's it's such a rich vein to tap i mean i have done a as I said, a Ferg's quest on Heavy Load, and I did one on Universe. Um, but uh, what, what, like, give us a highlight from Heavy Load there, and we might take it home. Highlight from Heavy Load. Um, Saturday night, probably my favorite song from them off the top of my head. Okay, let's have a listen. Fantastic. And the guitar sound is incredible. It's uh, unbelievable to mm. make the guitar sound that good. <laughs> Did you know uh, Phil Lewis plays bass on a song of this album? plays bass on three. Sorry, hold on a second. Sorry, I couldn't hear what you were saying there, go on. No, you're grand. I was asking if you were aware that uh, Phil Linnett played bass on a song from that album, actually. Only only from your Facebook, yeah, yeah. I remember yeah. you mentioned it. Was it what is a singing source? It's uh, free, actually. Free, he plays. Oh, sorry. And, uh, I, I, I met, uh, when I saw um, Heavy Load, I met Eddie Malm, and I asked him about that. That was the one thing I wanted to talk to one of them about. And I asked him what Phil Linnett was like and how that was. And he said he's a really, yeah. really nice guy. They got on well. They spent, uh, they, he had, he came up to visit them in the studio and he wrote the bass part for free on the spot. And then he played it with them as well. And then they spent the evening playing pinball together. Very good. Yeah. No, I did see, which I thought was a cool little story. I did see mention of that on your Facebook before. Yeah. And look, um, I did plan to talk about more Swedish metal with you. Maybe we'll do this. We'll do another one of these. Um, and I think we probably will. Yeah. It should be good. I'd be happy to come back. But uh, any final words on Gotham City? Why should people listen to them? Gotham City, unique, special band, genius. Give them a go. Hope, hopefully the clips here will have encouraged everyone to, uh, to, to go and check them out more than anything I can say. I hope so, because we've played so, some great little snippets of some of their best songs, I think. I think so. Okay, and uh, let's ask another question here. So, like, as I said, they're popular amongst a small group of uh, underground heavy metal fans in Ireland. Who started this movement? Um, I think I think it would be fair to say that I did, sort of by accident. <laughs> All right. So Paddy is taking credit for the Gotham City Clang Festival. He, he, he does the oh. Facebook page, yeah. Uh, the whole yeah. thing started with uh, me asking Scobes at his DJ nights in Foggy Dew to play Gotham City. And he never had it. It was like every, he did it every month for a long time there. Yeah. And every month I'd ask for yeah. Gotham City and he wouldn't have it. So then at a certain point it became like, I would ask for it and he wouldn't have it. And then I get all the other lads to go over and ask him until eventually he got it. Mm. And he'd do it every month when he did it. 
go up and hassle him. And then it turned into the whole thing of like when there were all those uh, gig cancellations a few years ago, like Clang Festival and oh, yeah, yeah. Ireland Metalheads Gathering or whatever it was, all those sort of things. We uh, we would take the cancelled gig and put Gotham City all over the poster as replacement bands and nonsense like that. Okay, right. So it wasn't just Clang Festival. Was... I, think there's a, I think there's a lot of people in the Irish scene now, thanks to us, who were like vaguely aware of them, but have probably never listened to them and think that they're like, I don't know, some sort of meme or joke band or whatever, but they're not there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we just picked them because we thought it would be it would be funny to do it with a, a sort of obscure Swedish band that not many people know about and has been gone for 30 years. Okay, so but are you taking the credit of influencing this whole group? You know how we're talking about like Paddy Jack, uh, you know, um Emmett, all those people are you taking credit I mean, we, for that? we were more or less all those lads were already into Gotham City, so I'm not taking you credit for getting them into the band but i but who who got them into it chris i i got uh, who did i uh, i got i would have got some in i know i know i showed jack gotham city probably paddy as well i don't know about the rest of them but okay. i definitely started the whole thing of like uh the stupid gotham city joke and hassling trolling. every dj gotham city trolling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah hassling okay. every dj and everything we go okay. to to play it very good. Okay. Oh yeah. So Ola or Anders? I think you've answered that question. You prefer Ola, Ola. definitively. As much as I like the Anders stuff too, uh, Ola is my favorite. Yeah. Okay. Very good. And you, you're 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 Anders. Yeah, I am Anders. Yeah, I will admit. Fully. Uh, okay. Anything else you'd like to add? Anything final? Uh, well, we we didn't really get to the the full on Swedish heavy metal discussion, but I had two websites up that I was going to recommend, and I might as well recommend them anyway in case people Do. want to have a look at more Swedish heavy metal. The first is called a uh, Swedish hard and heavy encyclopedia. And they're at f- fwashem.com. First wave of Swedish heavy metal.com, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. It's a, I suppose a metal archive style site, but dedicated to the, uh, the eighties heavy metal scene there. That's good. Good resource for reading about bands like Gotham city and tracking down demos and all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And the second one, is on have you ever been on the website the corrosium not that i recall no that they're they're probably there they'd be my favorite website for sort of underground heavy metal and obscure 80s stuff like they do some really good features and like uh big compilations of like uh 80s albums but uh they have one specific feature on the site called 707 inches of swedish steel which is uh a massive um archive i suppose with reviews and links and whatever for swedish heavy metal singles ranging from gotham city and heavy load to completely insanely obscure stuff that you never would have heard of and they're all sort of reviewed on there it's it's well worth a listen i've spent a long time reading through this list and checking out various bands and i probably still haven't heard everything that's on here excellent all right that's brilliant thanks a million chris and i'll definitely get you back on to talk about underground swedish heavy metal cheers for having me fergal i know we didn't really get the time because we've been going an hour and a half now and it's probably long enough for any podcast episode and i know you probably have things to be doing so thanks a million for joining i really appreciate it and no, cheers for having me it's always an education <laughs> and always a pleasure to speak to you chris so i do appreciate it and yourself fergo thank you all right so that was a ferg's quest episode with special guest chris coxon heavy metal aficionado on the band gotham city i hope you liked what you heard and uh, if you're if you're trying to seek out that music it's not really readily available 
the album uh, The Unknown is available now on Spotify recently only and actually Heavy Loader only recently available on Spotify as well you can go and check out a compilation by them if you look them up there's another artist in there named Heavy Load, which has absolutely nothing to do with them. But if you look at the artwork on the albums, you'd be able to pick out which one is the heavy metal album, I reckon. But yeah, Gotham City, yeah. So The Unknown is available on Spotify. The rest of the releases, you're going to have to hunt them down. There hasn't really been any official releases from Gotham City since, I don't know, the 80s. But The Unknown was released unofficially on vinyl, as was the 1981 demo, which we talked about at the start of our chat, recently made available on vinyl. If you want to go and find those, you'll be able to find them. They aren't official releases, but they are released. So yeah, I hope you enjoyed what you heard. Obviously, all of that music is available on YouTube and other places where you can acquire music that's not commercially available. I leave that up to you. That's going to do it for this episode. It was great chatting to Chris. I really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed listening back to it after a long period of uh, time in between recording and editing. So yeah, I, I'm going to see you next time. That was episode 82 of Feckin' Metal, and I've been your host, Fergal Trainer. <laughs>